0: As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit Cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio!
1: Hello and welcome to another Cradio interview. I'm your host, Philip Brooks. Today's interview is a little out of the ordinary. Father Robert is a Dominican priest and a good friend of mine, and we decided to sit down and just talk about some things which you listeners might find interesting. Now you'll have to forgive me in this episode because we actually jump around um, quite a bit from topic to topic, and I think the way I guide this conversation is just a bit abrupt. But hopefully you can put up with me in this interview and actually get something out of what this endlessly interesting and incredibly brilliant friar has to say. So here now is my interview with Father Robert Krishna. So today we're joined by Father Robert Krishna, a Dominican priest, chaplain to Monash University in Melbourne. Father, thank you for joining us today.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the program.
1: Father, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what do you do at the moment, some of your interests and sort of how you came to the faith?
0: Um, so I'm Father Robert Krishna, as you've heard. Uh, I am a Dominican priest. I was ordained in July 2017, so I've been ordained for a year and a half. So most of my day is spent as a chaplain, uh, and my week is spent as a chaplain at Monash University in Clayton in Melbourne. I am fascinated by lots of different things. I like uh, literature, I like poetry, particularly I like craft beer, I like spiders and birds, um, lots of different things. So I uh, was not always a Catholic, I came to Catholicism through Anglicanism uh, in about 2003. So around 2000, 2001, I was an agnostic um, and I was studying physics at the University of Sydney and I went through a period of depression. Uh, The philosophical side to that depression uh, was that I really was in search of someone or something to live for, and underlying that was a question about value. Um, Is there anything valuable in this life? Uh, Is there any basis to our judgments of value? Um, Because if you think about it, you know, our standards of what's beautiful change and our ability to appreciate what's beautiful changes. Yes. Um,
1: Pope Benedict speaks on goodness and and beauty as sort of the primary proofs for God.
0: Yes. So, the basic idea is that people are drawn to the faith today, I think, um, primarily by seeing... uh, the beauty of uh, Christian art um, and uh, Christian liturgy um, and also by experiencing the goodness of the people that they meet. So um, very often you hear people coming to the faith through an encounter with, with somebody who strikes them just as good, as good people, and then they begin to wonder where does this goodness come from. Um, and that then leads to the question of what makes somebody good or what makes something beautiful? Because you can easily imagine you know, a, a culture where uh, our definition of beautiful is no longer appreciable. So let's say if... Um, the English language, like all the languages that have ever existed, uh, is forgotten. Or um, the culture that can appreciate Bach um, gets lost in some way. Would it be the case that uh, Shakespeare or Bach are still beautiful, and ultimately, the only answer to that question, I think, is either that, okay, there is no goodness or beauty, or that there is something undergirding our evaluation of the uh, true, the good, and the beautiful, which is beyond uh, merely human judgments. Um, so... That then leads t- to the question like who can undergird our judgments uh, and that must be um, somebody who's not just here today and gone tomorrow um, as from a material perspective, human beings are just here today and gone tomorrow because everything in in everything material decays that's what material things do. Um, So, that must be a God who is a creator, who um, creates things and who gives them, who appreciates things, who says, who looks at the universe and says, this is good. Um, So, that's, um, that's part of how I came to the faith too, that I appreciated. I came to a kind of an intuition that... There must be somebody who undergirds our values. Mm. Otherwise, I can't genuinely say there are um, true, good and beautiful things. I can just say that there are things which I like or which I appreciate in this way. Mm. Um, And then the question became, which... Which of the many claimants to that title uh, is a reliable guide? Uh, Which then led me to Christ because I came to believe in that, well, because I I had the idea um, that Christ historically really existed, um, which most people don't doubt. that Christ really existed and went around in Jerusalem at roughly around the time that, that the scriptures say that he, do, he does. Then I, so I, basically as a, as a, I took a punt on the idea that I took a chance on that um, Christ might be the way. And then I slowly, by attending an Anglican church, I came to believe in uh, that Christ existed and was who he said he was, the uh, the way to God. And then through that, I came to believe in that not only did Christ really exist, but that Christ continued to exist in the Eucharist. Because it didn't make any sense to me that... Christ would go to the bother of becoming incarnate and then uh, paying us a flying visit so that he would leave something behind. Um, As um, uh, somebody that I saw on Twitter put it, um, sacraments or it didn't really happen, (laughs) which is the um, Christian equivalent, I think, of uh, pigs or it didn't happen. Yes.
1: So... uh, so at this point you're an Anglican um mm-hmm. you have this desire to to join the church because you see that the eucharist is a is a really big part of mm. of the whole message. Um what's standing in your way? Well, what is sort of the um, big
0: I didn't really have much of a sense of uh, the Catholic church as something open to me as a modern up to date uh, uh um, person in the world um, from a roughly english speaking background I probably had a quite a naive appreciation of the church as kind of anti science um old fashioned um with a few uh weird beliefs um particularly about uh, morality and sexuality and so on and so forth, which I didn't necessarily subscribe to at the time. So, um, but, it, but really, I, I mean, I, I, the Catholic Church wasn't a, a factor on the horizon. It wasn't really something that I knew about very much, one way or the other. I I felt at home in the Anglican Church. I appreciated the the beauty of the liturgy, particularly amongst the high Anglicans. Um, And so I didn't really think about the Catholic Church. I only encountered the Catholic Church on campus uh, uh, when I became interested in a Catholic poet, James Macaulay and I um, got interested in him. And so through kind of reading him, I kind of came into contact with the Catholics on Sydney University campus. And uh, then I started speaking to them. And at that time, I ran into two different kinds of problems within the Anglican Church. One was um, on the one hand, I believed in the real presence in the Eucharist. Some Anglicans do. Um, but the then um, Anglican Archbishop of Sydney uh, did not.
1: So, would dis- you say that um, you believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist within the Anglican Church or?
0: Within we- the Anglican Church. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. As many Anglicans do. Oh, right. Um, but but there, there was this basic disconnect if my... Archbishop did not believe in the real presence in the way that I did. Uh, then what did that mean uh, for, the, for the faith? You know, like uh, do we have share a common faith? Um, then the other side of it was that I felt I found quite a degree of variance among Anglicans, even officially, on issues of uh, morality, is there a consistent Catholic a c- consistent uh, teaching within the Anglican Church on, for instance the the wrongness of abortion or uh, that that was uh, one of the things for me at the time that, uh, And I found that people had various different views. And the same thing could be said for sexual morality. And this is not not just that there were divergences amongst the laity, that this was something that the Anglican Church didn't want to define officially as such. And so these were some of the issues that I was struggling with, but I still wasn't a, a convinced... Uh, Catholic because I then disagreed with the Catholic Church on several things including uh, women's ordination uh, contraception uh, some of the more uh, controversial issues within the the um, where the Catholic Church takes a position which is quite different from your standard modern uh, Australian uh, person. And so, I then started discussing with um, the Catholic chaplain at the time. The, the um, uh, his name was Robert Haddad. Ah yes. And uh, and then um, I remember at one stage he's asking, you know, when are you going to become Catholic? And I said, um, Well. Uh, to the extent that um, I, I think I am a Catholic now, in the sense that Anglicans are Catholic, um, but then, uh, but I'm, I don't want to become a Roman Catholic because I have all these different issues with the uh, with the Roman Catholic Church and. And, you know, you need to be able to give me an answer before I can say that. Uh, You need to be able to answer all of these things. And then we went around from one issue to another. Mm -hmm. And eventually he said, uh, kind of in an exasperated way, um, look, you're never going to get an answer to all your questions. Um, At some stage, you need to take a leap of faith. And at the time I dismissed that Statement, but then I I thought to myself over the next few days that um, I do. There is something to that because um, you can um, only you can always come up with a with a whole variety of. Uh, Objections but to which you can't immediately get an answer, um, to which any one person won't, won't be able to give, it, give you an answer. But but then I'm also not satisfied with where I am, and there are very various things on which I'm giving uh, the Anglican Church a pass on this, where really I'm I'm not satisfied. I have received a a definite answer on this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so then I thought, well, why not give it a go? So I did, and then I took um, lessons and I took a catechism, and many of my um, questions were answered so, uh, from reading through the catechism uh, with Steve Lawrence, who was uh, who, who had succeeded Robert. Um, I found. Uh, that many of my questions were answered explicitly, but also uh, a lot of the things that I had, problems that I had had, for instance, on contraception, were answered not just intellectually, but also that I could see it bearing fruit in the lives of the people that I met at the Chaplaincy. And the other thing that really struck me uh, amongst the Catholics on campus at the time was that... um, They genuinely lived their faith. The faith wasn't just an idea that that they had. It wasn't just a set of intellectual propositions. They had all the same struggles as everybody else, but they tried genuinely to live what they believed, and that was a very important thing for me to realize. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. um, Hmm. So I suppose it was smooth sailing from there one thing led to the led to the next and
0: well s- smooth sailing uh, is a I mean I had the same uh, you know I had my own struggles uh, difficulties that everybody has in, in, in life I mean well, yeah, yeah, Christian life is not supposed to be smooth sailing but yeah <laughs> you
1: said that um, there must be some objective beauty and mm. goodness mm. and some sort of you know, thing that we can judge this by which we call mm. God do you think that we should even if we don't necessarily enjoy things like reading Shakespeare or listening to Bach, mm. do you think we should um, do it anyway because we know it's good and it might foster our higher appetites?
0: I think there is something to be said for that that um, we learn to like things, and I think part of growing up is is actually deliberately. Uh going out of your way to see what you can learn to like, to see what you can learn to appreciate. so uh, I mean, I can go back to spiders if you like that, that most people are afraid of spiders, but but the more you learn about them, the more fascinating you find them. and it's the same with with uh, with uh, literature that I mean I actually did grow up. Uh, reading all sorts of things and right. just reading them for the sake of that uh, I knew these were classics, I knew these were things which people appreciated and I thought part of growing up was to join the club of those people who like these things yes w- which is which is the sort of thing that that people do as teenagers but but I think there is a lot to be said for actually trying to see why is it that people like this, why is it? Uh, is there something that I could get out of it? Yeah, and I think as you as you get into it, you you kind of fall into the habit of of saying yes, this is actually lovely. This is actually beautiful.
1: Mm. So um, I mean, I think you know it's it's part of growing up. Like you said, that you know young children are told, oh, you know, don't watch Thomas the Tank Engine anymore. That's for you know little babies. You know, mm-hmm. you start you know moving into this sort of
0: yeah. And I and I think I mean. Uh, as much as growing up is putting childish things away, I think there is also an, a, a sense in which um, there is a connection. You, you learn to appreciate the things you liked as a child in a different way as an adult. So um, I still love Bugs Bunny, and I think Bugs Bunny is one of the classics of, of, of Western uh, civilization. Um, and uh, and then Bugs Bunny. Uh, has a lot in it of Western culture. Uh, there's a whole episode of Bugs Bunny devoted to um, Wagner, uh, and there's another uh, episode uh, which is linked to Mozart and, and lots of other things. Mm, so, yeah, um, and and you find that a lot of things are connected.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: and uh, because. People read and people uh, listen to other things. So uh, so you appreciate even the things that that you thought were not connected are actually connected because they then lead you to see what um, that was doing yeah. in, in quite a different way. Mm. Um, so um, the other day I was watching the movie Hot Fuzz. Yes. And... Um, At some stage in Hot Fuzz, there's a quote, um, uh, Forget It, This Is Sanford. Now, Forget It, This Is Sanford is a play on, a very clever play on Chinatown, the end of Chinatown, which has, Forget It, Jake, This Is Chinatown. So, um, And the more you realise interesting connections like that, Mm. the more you can appreciate the beauty of of the whole thing. And that then applies to the whole of uh, what we see in the universe, that the beauty of things is interconnected.
1: Yeah. Well, Uh, I suppose it's like, um, you know, if um, a parent brings their um, young children to go and see a good Disney film, often there will be, you know, things that, not only the children can appreciate on a lower level, but on a much higher level, mm. you know, parents can get a lot out of the film as well because mm. because of the way that it's written and the way that it's made, and it's mm. quite brilliant.
0: Yeah, and 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 the same applies to creation. So um, there was a famous quote from the 18th century that um, I see the greatness and the goodness of God in dissecting the entrails of, of a fly, you know, like kind of God's beauty is, is shown in creation. And that's, that's one of the great, great things that um, at some stage in Augustine's Confessions, he goes through the whole of creation and he... Is searching for God. Yeah. And all creation cries out to him, I am not He, He made me. And so you ascend through the beauty of the world as pointing mm. to the beauty of God. Yeah. I think that's a fundamentally Christian realization that that, that uh, of God as creator of the beauty of the world who is um, ultimate beauty
1: hmm. absolutely hmm. Um, I think it's really good that you mention Augustine now it's no no secret that you're a big fan of his
0: well it might be a secret to the to the um, uh, people that who are going to listen to this but yes
1: <laughs> that may be so but um <laughs> <laughs> What's behind your great love for this um, Father of the Church?
0: Um, I became Catholic in two thousand three, and Pope Benedict became Pope in two thousand and five. And a part of uh, this was, you know, discovering him was to discover. That he's a great Augustinian, and so then I, uh, as part of in, the, in that enthusiasm of young converts, I uh, was I was doing history and philosophy of science, so I did a lot of work on Augustine. Um, so I read Augustine's Confessions. Uh, I then read a lot of Augustine's uh, works on grace, and uh I guess an appeal to the romantic in me in the sense that that uh the confessions really are a love story yeah. um and there's this whole sense of uh falling in love with God yeah, and uh there's this whole idea that that really appeals to a convert of God as Really, somebody I was looking for, somebody who was there, waiting for me and waiting to be discovered. But but it took me time to come there. And why? And you know, that's the great question of the confessions. Yeah. Where were you all my life? Um, which is really the question that one asks of the person that one falls in love with. Is is. Um, there is so many things about you that that fit with me. Um, what were you doing while while I was uh, away from you? You know, mm. kind of, um, and that's that's the great question of the confessions. Um, Late have I loved you, a beauty so ancient and, and uh, so new? Um, and Augustine asks again and again, you know, why did I take so long to find you, given that you were everywhere? Mm. And also that, that great question that runs through the confessions of how can I speak of you, you know, how can I speak, how can I speak adequately of you? Um, which again is a lover's question. How can I, how can I even express your beauty? And then, but the other side is the compulsion, uh, which is really the preacher's compulsion. I can't but speak of you. Uh um I'm I I have to say something about you because I can't hold it within me, you know, that that kind of again, it's it's um so that's yeah. how I came to Augustine.
1: So for um for somebody who, you know, might not have ever really looked too much at Saint Augustine, where would you recommend they start? Is there a particular translation of the Confessions, can you just dive straight in? You start from right at the beginning and you just read it all the way through. How does it work? Where do you start with St. Augustine?
0: Um, most people start with St. Augustine on the Confessions, and I, and I think that's the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the Confessions are, after the scriptures, the most important document of Western civilization. Everybody who was anybody read the Confessions. Um, even people who had quite different uh, understandings of the world were reacting against uh, the Confessions or reacting to the Confessions in some way. So the Confessions really undergirds the whole of Western civilization in a way no other text does other than um, the Scriptures themselves. Yeah. Um, And read it all the way through, um, not just the first nine books of the Confessions, which are really the story of Augustine, but also uh, books, nine to, books um, 10 to 13, which are the way in which his own journey fits within creation, okay. fits within the whole of, of the story of the universe since creation. And once you've read that, then you can go back and read The City of God, which is the Uh other great work of Augustine where um, Augustine really takes on, first of all, uh, Roman history and Roman mythology. And then he gives an understanding of the history of the world, which is um, the Christian understanding of the universe um, Mm. from its beginnings to the end in uh, opposition to, but also in a way in which subsumes uh, Roman history and And the Roman conception of who human beings were and and so um that's certainly worth reading so as 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 to translations, I would recommend um that people read the sheed translation of the confessions because it captures um the beauty of Augustine's language in a which in a way in which no other translation does mm-hmm. um but ultimately, the aim is to read, uh, if you can, to to try and read Augustine in the original, because um, there's a Augustine's Latin is beautiful, and uh, uh, but um, Sheets' translation captures the beauty of Augustine's Latin in a way in a way uh, no other translation does. Mm.
1: Wow. Well, okay. So, there's a lot that, that somebody could get from St. Augustine. I know that one thing that has really sort of struck me is his analogy of the Trinity.
0: Well, he gives several different analogies for the Trinity. But Augustine's basic idea is that he's, um, from Genesis uh, 1.26, um, he notes that Humanity is created in the likeness of God, in our likeness, which he takes to be the likeness of the Trinity. So then he says, So there must be an image of um, the Trinity in us, implanted in us. So he He goes through the whole universe and he finds several different levels of analogy of the Trinity. And then ultimately he says that there is an image of the Trinity within human beings. And then um, he says there's a, uh, an image of the Trinity within human beings, within the highest part of what human beings are, which is, the, which is reason. Yeah. So uh, he then says, goes through and finds that there is something in us which um, is three, but is also one. And the three never uh, exist without each other. They act together. Yep. And th- they need all three to, 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 f- to function. Yep. So his idea is that this is memory intelligence, and will. Right. So in order to understand something, you need to exercise the memory, you need to use your faculty of understanding, Mm -hmm. your action of understanding, your act of understanding, and you need to exercise your will. Right. And and you can't do any of them without the other. If you if you have no memory, you can't exercise your will. Mm-hmm. If you have no understanding, you cannot exercise your will. The example that Augustine uses is, is if you want to say the word uh memory. Right. You need to remember what it is called, what this particular action what, what this particular Faculty is called. What mm-hmm. this particular um, rem- what remembering is?
1: Yes, yeah, so you need to remember what remembering is.
0: You need to remember what you're remembering is. You yep. need to have. You need to understand what you are remembering. Right. So, you- and you need to exercise the will to then articulate whatever it is. So yeah, and, and and even in and it's it's not even that you can separate the two, you, you, you constantly need to go back and then you, you need to have the intention of, of actually doing this so you can't do it without will. So all three are, are intimately connected. Yeah. In a way in which they're, they're acting in, in the world. So this is an analogy and what Augustine is trying to do is, is to find a way in, to say that this is not contrary to reason. Mm. that this is um, part of the way in which we reason.
1: I see. Mm. Is it possible to remember something that you don't understand, that you don't have a um, some sort of a comprehension of? I guess if you don't really understand it, it's not really in, in your brain.
0: Well, but, but to the extent that you remember it, you... you I mean, you might not understand what it is, but but yes. what you remember is what you understand. I mean, you remember that you don't understand it. So if I remember, if I remember a complicated mathematical formula, right. Um, but I don't understand how it works. Yes. I re- to the extent what I remember is a set of words.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then I know that I don't understand it. Yep. Um so it it's it's a bit like I remember a set of words. I don't remember the formula as an understood thing. Mm. But to the extent that I remember it I understand what its components are. Yes. For instance. So.
1: And so that's that's all you can will to mm. you know say Mm. right okay so what else in augustine is sort of stands out to you as quite Um, quite profound i think there's uh something to do with cannibalism that's quite fascinating
0: this is not really augustinian per se it's the standard set of objections that people had to that that um romans had Mm. and greeks had to the idea of a bodily resurrection which was um Let's say you have a body that rises uh, from the dead. What happens to um, our uh, nails? I could just keep growing. Mm-hmm. What happens to, in cases of famine, uh, it has been known to happen that people have eaten other people. So whose body is the part that got eaten <laughs> belong to? right So all of these questions which were intended basically to show that resurrection of the body is irrational okay. because it doesn't make any sense for there to be um, for there to be um this matter, and also then the question really becomes. Um, what is the the constituent of the continuity of the person? What makes me, me? Uh Uh-huh. Right? And it's interesting that from the very earliest times, people needed, uh, Christians who believed in the resurrection of the body associated this with the continuity of matter. They, They didn't believe that... Um, it was simply adequate for there to be a continuity of soul, Mm -hmm. which is very, very different from the Roman or the Greek understanding. Because the Greek understanding is you could have that the the soul was immortal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, at least the Platonist understanding was that the soul was immortal. Or the Aristotelian understanding was that Really, the, the soul is connected, is the form of the body, so whatever continuities you have, there isn't a personal continuity, so the, so the person ceases to exist in a way. Um, Christians needed to find a way between these two problems, and so they needed to answer the question, which I think is a, is a fascinating question, so... How do you have a continuity of person without a continuity of matter?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, for Augustine, this the the uh, the, the um, answer to this lay in the fact that God is creator and God can create um, matter as necessary for his um, for his purposes. His answer to that question was that it, it belongs to the original person and whatever is necessary comes back. And uh, and so human bodies in the resurrection are perfect in a way in which they are not perfect now. So people who have uh, lost um, some part of their Fullness or their perfection, or who do not have some part of their perfection, like beards for men. So, beardless people, according to Augustine and all the fathers, will be bearded in heaven because a beard belongs to the perfection of manliness. Yes, anyway, so, um, (laughs)
1: um,
0: wisely, Augustine did not answer, uh, did not consider what the equivalent was for women.
1: Yes, mm. that, that's a great that's a great treasury to um to really get into uh, yes. Saint Augustine. Thank you for joining us today, Father. Uh, we ask you to pray for us, pray for all the listeners, and maybe um, before you go, you could impart a priestly blessing on us.
0: Okay, uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. May Almighty God bless you and bless all of you who are listening to this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen.